Hello and welcome to War Chat. Today we're doing a special in the car podcast. Road trip. I'm going to welcome Stephen Lunsford. Hello. Hello. And Joseph Lunsford. Why, 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 did, why did I come second? This feels too formal. I thought this was just going to be like a recording while we're driving. Now it, now it feels now like it feels weird. It's all it's all messed up now. <laughs> why did I come it's, third? It's a, it's a new informal version of podcasting, you know? You know, just we've we've never been formal on here. And why gonna, did I come third? <laughs> well, my hair is all a mess. It, it was I'm tired. It was all in the importance of people. So you know, like Grant, Stephen, and Joseph. I see. So yeah. Yeah. So Stephen, tell us a little bit about where we're going. Well, I was told to take you guys. To a history hobby store in Chattanooga or near there, Fort Oglethorpe. Well, it's called the History Company, and it's a history store slash hobby store slash army surplus store. It's got a little bit of everything. There's, they, you know, they got a Civil War reenacting stuff. They got a bunch of books there. They got a lot of uh, models, uh, like mini soldier models, tanks, aircraft. Uh, they have hats. They have Two stuff, Vietnam stuff. They got everything. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there's a little bit of everything. No. Is so, it a gas station? Yes. What? Yeah. So and if you like history stuff, the history company is where it's at. And so we're taking we're a going. scenic route, get up there, and then we might even check out the Chickamauga Battlefield while we're up there. Where so, are we at again? We? We're somewhere in Alabama right now. Why are we driving through the middle of a pasture? Oh, hey, we're good. We're good. That was not a pasture. I just Well, was, I'm pretty sure that cow said eat more chicken before we ran over. Yes, he did. <laughs> he did eat, he did say eat more chicken. So can you give us a little bit of a background to Chickamauga and the battlefield? Uh, uh we're gonna do a little video later today about Chickamauga, but I just want to hear just a little bit about Chickamauga. Well, I'm not I'm not a total expert on the battle of Chickamauga. Um, and so I know I'll I'll miss out some but, you know, uh, the Battle of Chickamauga that was right outside Chattanooga, so it's, you know, it's essentially the battle moving towards Chattanooga. Um, it takes place in northwest Georgia, up there. Uh, at the time, it was probably the biggest Confederate army assembled in the west at the time, uh, with uh, Braxton Bragg in charge, and he had General uh, Longstreet come from Virginia with uh, his corps boost Bragg's numbers against uh, the Union Army of the Cumberland, led by General William Rosecrans. So he had Bragg and Longstreet making an alliance of sorts, uh, reinforce their numbers, and they go against head-to-head with Rosecrans and the Federals at Chickamauga. And like any battle, that's just where the battles uh, lead. You know, you had, uh, first, you, the battle started with uh, cavalry elements. You had uh, Wilder's Lightning Brigade. They were armed with uh, repeating rifles, but they were on horseback. They had Spencer repeating rifles, and they were a new unit. Um, they called Lightning because uh, not only uh, were they armed more superior than any other unit at the time, but they also, because they were on horseback and mules, they could get to and from everywhere very quickly, so they got nicknamed the Lightning Brigade. So they pretty much were holding off the initial Confederate attacks. And like any battle, it starts off small, and then gradually every other unit is 
battle and so before you know it there's tens of thousands of soldiers on both sides fighting a full scale battle so I want to go back kind of to the Spencer repeating rifle so how what is the basic look of that rifle well it's like a Actually, the sword doesn't even really work in it. I love using the sword. I love doing the melee stuff. Yeah, I'm just not good at it yet. I'm not good at it. Yeah, I keep dying. And then the guys are really creepy. Yeah, they, they are. They like, around. <laughs> is that re- is, does the History Company actually, the, I mean, the History Channel video game, does it shed any light on how the Civil War actually was? No. Okay. No. We, we have that as no. for He has spoken. It is not an actual depiction. <laughs> so can we petition the History Company, uh, I mean, the History History Channel to put a label on there. Not realistic. <laughs> Not approved. Not approved by Stephen Munsford. <laughs> so, Stephen. Oh, what is that blue line in the road? What is that? There's a blue line in the road. What is your favorite battle in the Civil War? Are you looking for 231? Yeah. We're going to turn on 79. It'll lose barbecue. Oh, I'm sorry. I totally uh, forgot. All right, so our driver has lost lost his ability to drive. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I'm stumped by the question so much, and he just runs. All right, so. I don't do good under pressure. Under pressure. Under pressure. It's, 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 yeah, I'm, pressure. I'm not at ease like I I do better when we're not recording. Uh, relaxed. Yeah, I see it. I see how it is. But uh, um, what if we're also not I'm trying to make right sure we're not doing the turns. Yeah, turns are key. But uh, I like where this is going. 
So I've actually heard from a credible source that you were actually at the Battle of Chickamauga and it a big bayonet charge. No, that's not true. It's not true? Okay. Yeah. So. But, so, uh, um, so yeah, just ask me a question. Just ask you a question. All right. So what is to you the most, your favorite and what is the biggest turning point of the Civil War? What, what battle do you think if one side or the other would have won it, it would have changed the changed history oh, the most. I, I mean, there's a bunch of what-ifs. I mean, a yeah. war, but I mean, uh, there's several War moments. should have been won in Florida. Sorry, what? You know, you have uh, the Battle of Shiloh, for example, where, you know, I mean, the Confederates were winning that battle pretty handily uh, on the first day. And, you know, potentially Grant could have been captured, uh, you know, the Union Army could have been defeated piecemeal right there at Shiloh um, in the West, and, and then that would have, um, Albert Sidney Johnson died, and, you know, had things been different too, uh, if he had survived, but the war would have looked a lot different um, at that point because the Union would have had to try to rebuild all over again uh, to start another Western campaign. So in, in that same campaign, he had Fort Donaldson, which uh, Fort Donaldson and Fort Henry were supposed to be the strongholds in Tennessee controlling the river, but they both fell very easily. I mean, Fort Donaldson took a while to fall, but still, those uh, strongholds, if they had been able to hold, um, that could have looked a lot different. Uh, Confederates could have controlled Tennessee. This is going to be your turn, pretty certain. Confederates could have controlled Tennessee for a longer and so things fell apart in the West very quickly. So um, even, and that goes on to like uh, Vicksburg as well. If Grant had failed at Vicksburg and in the struggle for Mississippi, that could have been a lot different too. So um, had those campaigns gone different, I think, uh, you know, because where Lee, Lee was kind of consistent in Virginia, the Confederates were winning through most of the war. You know, it wasn't until Gettysburg, that was their big turning point. But in the West, you had so many different opportunities and chances that um, that uh, either the Union got lucky and very fortunate or Confederates failed. And so there is a bunch more to me what-ifs in the West uh, because there was a lot more big battles. That, um, you know, the funny thing is, in, you know, when Lee was winning handedly in Virginia, a lot of battles in the West were draws, um, a lot of ties, you could say, um, like battles like uh, Murfreesboro, Shiloh, where in a sense both sides lost the same amount of men, um, but like in Shiloh's case, what was turning into a potential Confederate victory turned into a smashing federal victory, and really an embarrassing loss for the Confederates. Would you say that, like, uh, you know, I know you like do stuff, whatever, but, uh, like, like Western federal troops, were they just natural? I mean, also, you know, better fighters than East for a little bit. I mean, I know later in the war, the East turned into very hardy guys, good troops. Like, in, you know, when Grant took over and everything. But, like, for the whole war, consistently, wasn't it kind of Western troops? Were they just a little more, uh, a little better? And soldier, I don't know, they were just more 
from the country or uh, farmlands. I don't know. They just seem to be there prior, like you just said, the ties and just kind of they they never really had a lot of trouble in the West. You know what I mean? Well, I mean everybody was pretty rugged back then, but yeah, I mean the soldiers in the West, you know, did grow up with a more rugged background because I mean uh, it's not as you know uh, the East Coast is at that point life going to New York and everything else so you had guys who were city guys and country guys and so the guys that were from Michigan Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa all those were hard working farmers mostly in there you know? so, so they did have tougher backgrounds and um, some of them could handle the climate a little better than uh, like if you have a soldier from New York going down to Louisiana he's going to have a rougher time than the guy from Missouri or Kentucky going down Louisiana. So, um, yeah, I feel like they were more evenly matched uh, in the West. You had a lot of just tough soldiers on both sides. Um, so, we were talking about turning points, and one of the big turning points I see, and I was going to see what your opinion was on it, was... Do you think that the death of Stonewall Jackson was probably one of the biggest um, complications in the defeat of in the defeat of the Confederacy in the end? Um, you know, I'm sure it, it added to it, but I mean, there's that's just one of many things that happened. Um, you know, other leaders died, other bad decisions were made. Yeah. Um, you know, they had. I mean. Uh, died was one of the Confederacy's biggest victories. Battle of Chancellorsville. But it came at a great cost like that. But, but you know, I know like one thing people always talk about oh, what, what would have happened if Stonewall was at Gettysburg? Would it have been different? And maybe maybe it would have looked a, a different. Maybe there would have been some other different decisions made. Um, but then fate also has a part too. I mean, uh, Things, things do happen sometimes out of anyone's control. You know, who's to say that, you know, okay, you know, Stonewall got shot at Chancellorsville, but maybe he would have just got shot at Gettysburg. You know, what if he shows up and then he gets shot on the first day at Gettysburg, then you're kind of in the same um, kind of boat, whatever. I mean, things can happen. So That could have made even Gettysburg even worse, too. The shock in the middle of the battle or in the beginning of the battle. Oh, yeah. That might have turned it even more south. I, I do think uh, one thing that you know people talk about a lot is that um, you know Stonewall was very aggressive sometimes, and so like maybe they would have fought for the high ground a little harder. You know, maybe uh, Culp's Hill would have been taken a little easier, or maybe the Round Tops. You know, maybe they would have gone to the right. I mean, so and you know, you never know. I mean, if Stonewall was there, maybe the army would have been separate a little differently, you know, maybe, uh, but, I mean, but potentially, I think Stonewall wouldn't take to Pope's Hill if he was there, man. but, but the thing is, um, his successor, Richard Mule, um, still a good general, but he, he was probably just a little more cautious than Stonewall, so, and that was his first trial by fire as a war commander, so, you know, you had that difference, too, where he had a guy go from having a guy like Stonewall as uh, the 
compressor and then you have Yule who's just trying to be cautious but you know there's so many what you could have what ifs for every campaign every battle every time in history um, but I mean fate says otherwise sometimes um, most most people and getting towards the end of the Civil War most people then criticized Lee for what he did but in your opinion wasn't whenever he surrendered the wise wisest thing he could have done at that point in the war to save life because he wasn't about he was trying to preserve what little bit of manpower he had to be, because the the war was not going to end everything it was going to just there was still have it was it, it was not going to be an end all oh yeah well uh Anything. What's oh. their, their thing? 
Well, uh, I know they were in, um, I want to say they were in Rhodes Division of Ewell's uh, Corps, which is Jackson's old corps. But uh, I know at Gettysburg, they were probably part of the uh, initial attack on the first day when they were fighting the uh, 11th Corps over on Oak Ridge, around that area. So 23rd, I think they were in Iverson. actually had some of the worst casualties at the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, a lot of North Carolina units did it. In fact, North Carolina, uh, on the Confederate side, North Carolina lost the most men. I think they lost more men than Virginia did at Gettysburg. But uh, North Carolina, they had a... All those guys uh, were just battle-hardened everywhere. North Carolina produced some really good soldiers during the they were really hard fighting men, and um, um, I've always been interested in all their actions. Um, How they suffered a lot, but the, mainly because I mean the guys who lose the most men is because they're at the forefront of all the battles. How about the Second Michigan? Second Michigan, yes. Um, I want to say uh, I want to say they were in the uh, third. they fought near the wheat field at Gettysburg or the peach orchard. The, the, the wheat field or the wheat field? Wheat. Right. Wheat field. How about the 15th Ohio? Look, ask, ask me specific questions about like a, not just random. So. If you give like a, ask a detail about a battle. Or, but, but who, the 15th Ohio? Yeah. Well, they probably were in the Army of the Cumberland. Most of the Ohio regiments were in the Army of the Ohio or the Army of the Cumberland. Here, here's one that is more down and probably more in your area of its area area of its expertise. Area. Yeah, area. Area. Um, what about General Foster? Uh, not General Foster. General Forrest oh, no. and his troops here in Alabama. Like, I know we've been to that battlefield before, Twiggy Creek Battlefield. I always have it. That's not, not a battlefield. Well, well, okay. It's, <laughs> it's not a battlefield. Well, it's the closest thing we have in North Alabama. Um, but, yeah, General General Forrest, like, uh, I hear a lot of good things out of him. I understand that, like, some of your German generals, such as Rommel, actually studied his tactics. And that's kind of what the Africa Corps did in North Africa. So, like... Opinion on General Forrest and his troops, or criticisms, or well, I always thought you know he was overrated, so I never really got into him as much because everybody always talks about him. And my goal was always I want to hear about the guys who nobody talks about. And uh, Forrest, you know, the credit I'll give him is he was a good cavalry commander. He, he knew how to run a raid. He knew how to defeat the Union Cavalry up there in Tennessee, North Alabama, so I mean he was a good tactician. What? But, you know, um, but the problem is, um, he's probably the perfect example of uh, a scapegoat for history after the war, where, you know, because of his connections with the 
KKK, whether people want to say he had much to do with that or not, the problem is he did, and it's so it's hard to defend him, you know? Yeah, it, you can't defend so that. his reputation will forever be, be tarnished because of that. So, yeah. But I do, on the battlefield, yeah, he was a good commander, a good, reliable um, guy to have. Probably one of his um, big moments was at Fort Donaldson when the Confederates were getting ready to surrender, and that was February 1862. You know, he didn't want to surrender, that's early in the war. Like, it's time to, like, no, 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 we need to keep fighting, whatever. So, when the whole, when the army there at Fort Donaldson decided to surrender, uh, for, uh, Forrest and his guys broke out of the fort. So he took his guys and was like, hey, anybody who wants to keep fighting this war, come with me. That's pretty much his attitude. So they go out of the fort and uh, go on to fight more campaigns. And so he had a lot of big, uh, you know, glorious moments during the war. Oh, um, I, I, I know. This is, it was a cool story. Uh, what is the deal about that? It was that painting that I got you for Christmas about that unit at Gettysburg, the Union unit that General Hancock ordered them to do the free like, charge. So yeah, um, that's the first Minnesota at Gettysburg. And so actually, coming up in a few months, um, in uh, either June or July this year, around the time of the anniversary of the battle, there's a program at the Gettysburg National Military Park, they're going to recreate the actions of the first Minnesota at the Battle of Gettysburg. And I'm planning to go if everything works out. But what happened there is on the second day of Gettysburg, you know, everybody talks about what happened at Little Round Tom. And you hear you hear a thing, you hear about Little Round Tom, you hear about the Wheatfield, you hear about um, Cole's Hill, you hear about some of these other actions. But um, but people don't realize sometimes that um, there, there was essentially a Pickett's charge on the second day. Not with Pickett, but you had several other divisions launch attacks on that same ground on the second day of Gettysburg. Is this uh, Gunnersville? Yes, this is, this is Gunnersville. Wow. Yeah, I've never been to Lake Gunnersville. What battles were on Lake Gunnersville? Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, um, on the second day of Gettysburg, um, Lee launches an attack with, uh, so basically, uh, Anderson's division of Hill's Corps and McLaw's division of uh, Longstreet's Corps. So both these divisions, I mean, that's probably 15,000 men or more, are assaulting Cemetery Ridge, the same ground that will be attacked on with Pickett's Charge. So these guys are attacking the same area, and, and uh, that's when, you know, uh, Dan Sickles. Uh, he was a commander of the Union 3rd Corps. He advanced his corps forward against orders because he wanted to get to a better position. But instead, he advanced right into the Grand Confederate attack. So his men get exposed. Uh, they get driven back. Uh, so there's chaos. There's mainland chaos going on over in the area of the Peach Orchard. Um, and Sickles even gets... Um, gets shot in the leg and uh, his leg gets amputated as a result but so while all this chaos is going on General Hancock who is uh, overseeing everything on Cemetery Ridge for the Union he sees this happening and so he gets his troops ready to, to counter this threat 
so they start trying to bolster their ranks. But uh, there was a crucial point in the battle where the Confederates were, they were breaking through. I mean, the Union lines could have been broken on that second day right there in the center of, of the lines. And so uh, it was actually an Alabama brigade, uh, Wilcox's Alabama brigade. They were juggernauting towards Seminary Ridge, Cemetery, Cemetery Ridge. And at the time, Hancock hardly had anybody to counter threat, except the 1st Minnesota happened to be nearby. They were a small regiment, the only regiment from Minnesota in the Army of the Potomac. And they were very small. I think there was uh, just 200-something guys, maybe 240 in the regiment. And, and he, Hancock pretty much asked them, like, look, can you stop that advance? And, and uh, the colonel and all of them like, well, yeah, we'll, we'll try, you know. And so um, so they pretty much do a bayonet charge um, right towards that Confederate uh, offensive. And so, like, you, you're looking at 200 guys versus, like, 1,500 guys. And, and they charge, but it was enough of a diversion, distraction, and enough of a holdout for Hancock to have time to reinforce his line. So honestly, this Minnesota regiment, they sacrificed themselves um, to bolster, I mean, to hold the line. And so of the 240, some guys that went up there, um, I think only, I mean, only a few, uh, something like maybe 50, only 50 guys survived. Um, and most of them got captured, but... Um, they, they had the, they pretty much sacrificed themselves for the sake of the army. But when you look at, I mean, it's very comparable to what the 20th Maine did. I mean, they had a grand charge with a bayonet down Little Round Top to save the flank of the Union Army. But what the 1st Minnesota did was even more crucial. Because um, the Union line could have collapsed right then and there. I, I think it's really kind of cool when I was talking about, when I see about the West and the East troops and all about, you know, whole beginning of the war, everything up to Gettysburg, I think it's kind of cool because, like, everything before Gettysburg, you know, the Union is getting pretty pushed around, I mean, honestly, they're just getting just kind of semi-humiliated, every battle is getting really pushed around, but I love how Gettysburg, all of a sudden, all these guys start really picking it up, like, all these, I like how, you know, of course, there's a little roundup, but there's these first, first Minnesota, it's almost like they're kind of, I feel like, they're almost, they take this kind of odd underdog kind of take when, when they're not really, but kind of they are because the union, even though they have the, they're the union and they're the, the bullies quote right now, they're getting, you know, just humiliated and beat back. But in Gettysburg, they like finally turn around. But think of the motivation here for the first time, essentially, the North is fighting on their home ground, you know, especially with the amount of Pennsylvania soldiers. Tons of Pennsylvania soldiers in the army. I mean, I never they get that. they yeah. get the taste of what it's like. So, so when Lee's men fighting in Virginia were inspired, but like, hey, we're fighting for our homes. Now, for the first time, these Union soldiers are essentially they're fighting for their homes. And so, uh, you know, so they uh, uh, they have that motivation. So they find that strength and motivation, and uh, that's what inspires them and also adds to, them, to their um, 
tenacity during the battle because they um, found that, you know, motivation. So I think that has a lot to play. I have one controversial thing that I want to bring up, and then this will probably be it for this episode, but, you know me, I have to bring out something controversial. In y'all's mind, who is going to win the Super Bowl? Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Yes, I mean, we have the, we have the Chiefs and we have the... Oh, uh, boy. That, that controversial. So, yeah, controversial. I mean, um, we're probably going to get... Yeah, we're, we're probably... So, no, uh, I, oh boy. I think both teams have uh, they have so much going for them. You know, for Mahomes, um, they want to try to to win two in a row, um, and that would be a big feat. You know, I don't know if anyone's done that before. Not the but, Patriots. Oh, uh, the Patriots. Uh, yeah. With Tom yeah. Brady, but I mean, so it's been sure. a while. Mm-hmm. But for Mahomes, that'd be an impressive uh, feat, especially for the Chiefs program. And with how young and, he is, in well, the... being how young he is, yeah. yeah. So. The Chiefs have that going for them. But in Tampa Bay, they haven't been there since 2003. And Tom Brady has a chance to win another Super Bowl, you know. Without, And and the amazing thing is, like, he does that. One year after leaving the Patriots, he's already in a Super Bowl with another team. So that's impressive alone. That fact alone is, that shows you that the success for the Patriots, a lot of that was Brady. It just goes to show you. But, um... So I love how both teams have a storyline because I love mm-hmm. a good storyline. So for both teams to have that motivation, that, that says a lot. However, um, I do believe the Chiefs have um, the upper hand here. I mean, Tampa Bay is playing at home, so that's incredible too. No team has like done that, or if they have, it's been a long time. But to play the Super Bowl on your home field, that's going to be a big inspiration for Tampa Bay. Would you say, though, that Tampa Bay is the underdog in this game? Um. I will. I mean, they, they've gained a lot more popularity now that people kind of see them as evenly matched in a sense. But Tampa Bay lost five or so games this year. And yeah. so they've proven that they are weak in some areas. Um, Kansas City, you know, they played some so-so games. But Kansas City, uh, they, uh, uh, they're really, they've really been playing well in the playoffs. And some teams really get that recipe, that good recipe going um, – when they get motivated like that in the playoffs. So I I think both teams are going to bring out their best. Um, but I do think if the game turns out to be a blowout, I think it would be a Kansas City blowing out Tampa Bay. And I think that if the game is close, Tampa Bay will win. All right. Well, that was a very interesting conversation. And I think that will be it for today's podcast. But we'll be right back at you.